Spring turkey season is upon us, and don't be caught out in the woods without having Onyx Hunt on your phone. One feature Onyx has that is often overlooked for turkey hunting is their recent imagery filter with their elite memberships. This imagery is updated week to week, and it comes in extremely handy, especially when you're trying to find these gobble zones where these turkeys will go out in a high spot on a fresh clear cut and strut around all day long. Actually, I was just looking at on Onyx where, where the timber company just came into Andrew's club and did a very small clear cut along this creek, and I can see the high spots on the topographical map, but also I can see exactly where they mulch, and those are going to be hot spots for finding gobblers, especially mid-morning after they get off their hens, getting up on these little high spots in this fresh, small clear cut along the creek and strutting and gobbling all day long. If you want to give Onyx a try, you can actually download it for free, try it for seven days, and if you decide to purchase, you can use the promo code SOUTHERN and save on your premium and elite memberships. So go into this turkey season, know where you stand with Onyx. Look, y'all know we harp on it a lot. You need a good pair of binos. Yeah, I never hunted with binos until I was almost into my 20s. I never did it when I was a teenager or anything like that. Or when I was a kid, we never had binos. And when I bought my first pair of Vortex binos, the first binos I ever purchased back in like 2015, it immediately made a huge difference for me, especially in the turkey woods. So give yourself the advantage of a good pair of binos this spring, whether you're looking for more of like an entry-level bino like the Vortex Diamondbacks or something really, really nice like the Razors. Vortex is going to have something for you. And hey, don't pay full price for it. Use our discount code at eurooptic.com. Use the code SGN10 to get a discount on any Vortex optics that you want to order. Again, that's eurooptic.com, code SGN10 to go get a discount on any Vortex product you order. If you live in the Gulf Coast region, you need to find yourself at the EcoWild Expo May 10th through the 12th in Mobile. It is the premier outdoor expo for the Gulf Coast region, and we're going to be there. We're going to have a booth. We're super excited about it. Can't wait to meet you guys that live down there. We absolutely love the Gulf Coast region, so to be a part of this show, we're super excited about. We're going to have past podcast guests there at our booth for you to talk to, guys who are relevant for your area, who you can talk to, you can pick their brain, you can joke with them, laugh with them, tell them your story, whatever you want to do. It's going to be a awesome time. We're already working on some past podcast guests, but hey, if you live in this area and you have a suggestion for someone you want to see at that show, write in and we'll see if we can get them. There's going to be all kinds of exhibitors at the show that are focused on hunting, fishing, conservation, and recreation. There's going to be activities for the whole family there. They got axe throwing, archery. They're going to have our podcast booth. And then for the kids, they got touch tanks, a honeybee exhibition, a raptor show, kids fishing tank, BB gun range, and a butterfly house. So you're going to love it. Your kids are going to love it. It's going to be an awesome time. So head on over to ecowildexpo.com to get more information on the show and to go ahead and grab your tickets. And hey, mark it on your calendar, May 10th through the 12th. Be there. We want to see you and we're excited to talk to you. So we'll see you at the EcoWild Expo this May 10th through the 12th at the Mobile Convention Center in Mobile, Alabama. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Welcome to part two of our Buck Hubs series with uh, with Shane and Paul and Michael. So <laughs> we got the whole gang here. Uh, this is the second part of the episode that you heard last week. Uh, we just split it in half just because it's so information-packed. Uh, I feel like it's probably easier to digest this way. As I said last week, if you guys have any questions on this, please leave them in a five-star review. That'd be great. Uh, if you could leave it in a review on iTunes, we can get to that. If you don't have iTunes or if you 
If you don't want to do that, then you can always shoot us an email, shoot us a Facebook message. Actually, probably the best way is email. You can hit our website and there's a contact form there. You can go fill that out. Any questions you have on this subject, uh, we'll be able to answer those whenever we do a part three. We're talking about doing a part three sometime over the summer on the same subject, just because there's so much to it we didn't even get into. I mean, Paul, you know, he even talks about uh, trying to find the right kind of dirt. I mean, he, he literally seeks out the right kind of soil for like big mature bucks, like soil that's healthy soil that's going to grow big bucks. So it's fascinating topics, really fun to talk about, really fun to listen to. So that that's coming up probably in the next couple months. So again, y'all just leave us whatever questions you got. Um, one more time here, I'm going to plug our Patreon videos that we are doing. At, at the time I'm recording this, we already have a video up on Patreon that is showing topographically speaking what we are talking about with the Buck Hubs in these episodes. So I try to give you a, a decent example of what Shane and Paul are talking about with these two guys from two completely separate areas in the country, independent of one another, have both found to be true, both in Alabama and in the Northeast. And then we brought them together and have the have this discussion that we're having. So uh, I go in on a topo map and basically try to illustrate what exactly what they're talking about, because I was confused at first on the subject, because when somebody says hub, my brain goes to like a bowl or a thermal hub. And that is not necessarily what they're talking about. These hubs can be on ridge tops. Um, so that's just something to think about. That video is on Patreon. If you're already a patron, hopefully you've watched it. If you're not a patron, you can go join today and get access to that video. We're going to be doing a couple more videos like that. Already did one with uh, turkey stuff as well. So there's uh, some turkey videos on there and some turkey content. But anyways, I'm not going to drone on any longer. Here is part two of the Buck Hub series. All right. Also, I want to get back to this trail camera study and kind of what you've been learning, Shane, with running 100, 100 plus 70 or 170 plus cameras a year or over the last two years on public land and kind of seeing what you've been doing. Also, with implementing the weather stations as well off some of these sites, is one thing you brought up earlier. Actually, there's a couple questions here, but number one, you brought up earlier about how dew point might be a factor. What is your theory of mm. dew point? Uh, well, I think the lower the dew point, which means that the the area is, is you're going to have a a, a a thinner air. Um, I think dew point has a lot to do with um, with basically how a how far away scent has to travel. The thickness of the air, the dew point makes a difference in that. So I think that may have an effect on how far they're having to travel to these hubs or having to travel to the, the scrapes, the, the primary scrapes to scent check. So that using dew point a little bit, maybe it would determine how far away you can set up from these areas, depending on how far the scent is traveling of the thickness, of the humidity, you know, things like that. So, so uh, yeah. Uh, keep going, and we're going. Are, we're are going you, all in. Are on you this. finding so with a low dew point, the air is more thin, but yeah. with the thicker, the more moisture, moisture. it has in the air. Do yeah. you find they that can it's smell they can right? Smell exactly. Yeah. Okay, yeah. that's what I was getting at. Yeah. Just make yeah. it clear make for the listeners. Yeah. See, I've noticed, and the one thing I did notice is the colder days that we had. The and I don't know if it had to do with the cold temperatures so much as the dew point when they had to actually come to the scrape. There was more visits on really cold days to the scrape. Then there was just these little, you know. Yes. And that's something I've always heard and seen myself, which was if it is drier and colder, usually when it's colder, it's usually drier because it's after the front's pushed through. They have a really tough time, time. smelling. Yep. Oh, yeah. A deer could be right up under your tree. Yeah. Your your thermals are falling right on top of them. Yeah. And it's, yeah. you can get oh, away yeah. with murder. Yeah. yeah. You, you really can't. I, I think that's a lot of the reason why these big bucks want to be in these drainages. You know, they just, they can smell so, so much, much better with that moisture in the air. Mm -hmm. It just makes them feel more confident yeah. in their spot. Yeah. You yeah. know, and it, it's all about survival for them. They've got to be able to smell. Yeah. I, know, I, just, their, I just, I just, I just pulled a, defense. a couple of, couple of the, the main ones that I was seeing, like one buck was just, I was, I was, I had him pretty well patterned, not patterned enough that I could kill him, <laughs> but patterned enough that I kind of had an idea of what his, you know, what his game plan was. And, and I just started looking at the temperatures and I realized, yeah, you know, he's, he's actually coming to these scrapes on these coldest of days. Now it was after the fact, after I'd pulled all the cards and hunting season was basically over, 
but yeah, I did notice that. And I noticed another thing is like he was saying with the drainages is I realized that they were in those drainages on really advantageous days, like, like a mist, uh, a, a light rain, man, they would just that, you know, that the, like the couple of, the couple of uh, hubs that were right adjacent to the drainages, that's where they would bed at. Like that was just a few little things that I pulled from the weather data. And that was mainly just me looking back at like what, you know, how has, a, you know, I got a bunch of them here in this one drainage, you know, bedding and, and just kind of milling around. This was an access point that I had a couple of cameras on. So I had a lot of, you know, a lot of data right there in that one spot. And I kind of correlated it back to the weather. and Oh, but that's kind of yeah. a rainy day when that happened, you know? And that makes more sense. I, the the air is more dense because it's more heavy, more yep. moisture in the air, and it's lower mm-hmm. and dropping. Dropping. In. It's constantly dropping into that. Like that hub basically dropped into this, this scrape hub, basically dropped into this drainage. And the way it was set up, it was on the east side. And it was covered. There was a big, big mountain to to its to its west and southwest, so it had shade pretty much, you know, most all the time. And so that drainage was just, you know, if you can find those spots, because I mean, I literally had a buck in there that stayed in that. I don't think he left a ten or fifteen acre spot for fifteen days. He basically just stayed right there. I want again, just while we're touching on the dew point and, and kind of like what your thoughts are with dew point and how this can play a factor. That's have you seen any threshold like looking at some of the data? I know you said you're trying to get more into the the weather data, the weather data after the last year, uh, two years, uh, and looking at it. But ha- has there been a threshold where like you see like at a certain dew point, like you see a switch or a change? I haven't really done a number yet. It's just been it's just been it's mainly been on one that one location that I just kind of picked up on. I hadn't really got a number down yet. I guess that would have to, I'd have to really, you know, dive into that, that a lot more. But, um, I would say, um, just based off of, of that one little set of data for like two weeks that I looked at, um, probably you're looking in a 60 dew point seemed to be like a key for that area. And anything below that, once you got in the 30s and 40s, uh, I wouldn't say you, you weren't much at, at the scrape location. Everything was down low, and that, and that was during a time period where we had a lot of warmer weather. Like it was, it was kind of a wet and warm period. So there was just very few days where we had the low dew points during that period of time. Also, are you seeing with your truck cam study that you've been doing? Have you been seeing any kind of activity in different hubs based off? Uh, how the, these hubs are like positioned, whether it's more east facing, west facing, north facing. Has there been any uh, constants or anything like that that you've been looking at, kind of positioning wise? Whether again, it's an area this hub like gets sun very early in the morning, has rising thermals quicker, yeah. or has more kind of shade earlier in the afternoon and it changes. Except for that one, they all have mostly morning. You know, they're they're getting the rising thermals earlier than anywhere else. I mean, it, it they seem to position it in a place that it gets the sun before anything else does. If that makes sense. Like one thing that I noticed is they're kind of positioned where the sun is coming up and there's a, there's a, a maybe a, a Creek or a, that ridge is, is angling where it's facing to the east. To the east. Uh-huh. Yeah. So there's, there's not a lot of canopy to the east. So that's maybe the first area that's getting warmed up. Yep, is it, mine's just a little different because I seem to get more of the hemlocks and the rhododendrons on the northwestern sides of my health. If you go on the the eastern and the southern slopes, they're like a barren desert. So it's it's like they 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 need that moisture content. Yeah. That's why they keep going down the now that I, side. Yeah, and and like he's saying, I noticed a lot of the primary scrapes are like he's talking. They're they're the opposite. They're kind of low. They're kind of in the the shaded areas. Um, I don't, I don't know if that, you know, I don't know what, what that has to, you know, correlate with. I hadn't really figured that out, but I feel like that's, you know, my mind's just going crazy right now. Cause I'm thinking darker <laughs> think, areas. I'm thinking thicker cover. Yeah, I'm thinking yeah. more I, bucks. I think the bucks just feel like, safe. Yeah. Yeah. They, they oh, yeah. feel safe and that's really what it's down to, you know? So conversely to the dew point, you know, having the more humidity when it's more airy, do you find them bedding? in more 
higher elevation or more on the tops or not not necessarily the tops but like higher up catching more wind i haven't really i haven't really uh looked at the the bedding i i just did the the basically the the, the pattern into it but just judging by travel out of the out of that location you know cuz i'm i'm getting visit the scrape and then i'm also getting the the travel out of it uh, if it is if it is a clear morning, they're going up. It seems like. Uh, if it was like a damp, I was getting travel coming down. If it's like a you know cloudy or damp, I'm getting them where they're they're um, above, and on that cloudy day they're coming down to it, and then they're going on down. They're going the opposite direction. They're going further down. So it seems like on the cloudy days they're wanting to get lower. If that makes sense. Yeah, they're following or, yeah, the thermals. They're following. Yeah, the thermals are are. On, on cloudy days like that are not as consistent as you're getting in, you know, obviously with the, with the sun's up and, and cooking everything off. So, yeah, so, I, I would say if you're, if you're coming into one of those areas and it is a clear morning, yeah, they're probably going to be above you. You know, they're going to be above that location by the time you, you know, you know, get there. Or I, I think they're just based off of travel. I think what you're seeing is a lot of, a lot of travel. They're coming to that. They seem to come to that hub early in the morning like you can you can get them there you know like just based off of my data you could you can you can definitely get them coming off of the hub because they're visiting that hub just but like in the in the 30 minutes before daylight and the 30 minutes after daylight or after you can see so right at sun right at sunrise they're exiting for the most part uh so if you can get if you can figure out you know which bed they're wanting to go to that morning that's your best opportunity, but I think you'd, you'd be. Yeah. I need to hunt more in the morning. Sometimes I feel like yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm missing some opportunities because I usually set up in the evenings for them. And I, 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 I wait for that thermal to start switching, switching. before yeah. I move up. And, and, and I, I, I mean, I, yeah. it's like a, a race to get up to the top. Yeah. You know, I hang back and I'll, okay, okay. I feel that thermal going I'm up yep. the hill and I'm set up. I, I get, I'm in my tree and set up in like, 30 seconds yeah. climbing the tree i'm just like and then that's it so have you have you related anything to the moon yes yes what have what exactly have you seen a lot more during the new moon and during the full moon you're getting a lot more a lot more visits it's almost a uh probably a 200 percent increase the, the, the three or four days right at a new moon or right at a full moon is a dramatic increase and yeah. activity yeah. in the hubs or the hubs. scrapes? Both. Well, both. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Both. But I mean, both of them. Both of them correlate <laughs> to that. You know, I mean, it's enough that you know. I never really hunted the moon. I was. I wasn't a moon moon phase hunter. Yeah. I've been. You know. Yeah. But now I'm going to definitely. So, and I, I know. mentioned this to y'all earlier because I'm all excited and giddy about this. <laughs> Michael's got a grin <laughs> on his face right now. But I'm I'm interested. So, Paul, when is y'all's rut up there? Uh, where you're at. Chasing like 10th, 12th, but there, I mean, I get ones that strike in mid October sometimes. Right. I get some that that do it like it, it's it's a pretty broad range actually, but like peak is usually around the 10th or the 12th, right? So, what I've noticed, I don't know what y'all have seen, I'm just basing this off of past observations and things I've tried to pick apart with the very few cameras I've actually had out during the rut. Uh, but from what I've seen related to our rut, cause we have a lot of different ruts here in Alabama and they range anywhere from, you know, where you were saying late October, yeah, really early November. Uh, till basically all the way through hunt, hunting season, which is February 10th mm -hmm. for us here. Um, but what I've noticed is whenever that rut for that particular area comes in, Usually the month before, which would be the, the new moon and the full moon around the month before I get bucks and then I get bucks related around the new and full mm -hmm. right at our rut. And so I think that a lot of people need to take that into consideration because you hear a lot of people saying, well, I hunted this, you know, I hunted this grape and I didn't see anything coming to it. Well, when did you hunt it, first of all? Because a lot of this stuff, and I'd be interested to hear your your times on this, because what I've noticed is around midnight and then around 
mid to late morning, like, like noon. So like 10 to two, 10 to two, you know, at, at night into the early morning and then 10 to two, uh, you know, middle of the day. And that's basically just related around the full moon and new moon and only related to the, the month before the rut actually hits and the month of the rut. Now, outside of that, it tells off. I've seen a lot of, you know, young little scraggly bucks, uh, but the big mature bucks especially hit the month before and then you'll get them the month during. But outside of that, I don't ever see them like hit those scrapes, like very rarely, if so. I don't know what y'all have seen, but I'd be interested to hear like y'all's thoughts. Now, I, 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 the, the hub scrapes are getting hit year round. The ones I've seen, uh, they're not getting hit near as much outside of October, November, December at all. Like it's, it's a dramatic, but they're still getting hit, but they're getting hit more at night, believe it or not. Uh, that's what I was seeing. Um, now, as far as time wise goes, you're dead on as far as the, the, the hubs, they were midday was the, the, probably the number one, that, that 10, 15, I think to like 1230 or something like that was like, was like prime time for them. And I'm going to say like midnight, like midnight to 1am maybe was the other one. And then, um, then that, that evening. Now there was a constant void in both the primary scrapes and the, and the, uh, the hubs and that was evening activity uh after 2 p.m it, it ceased at both until you know right at like five o'clock 5 30 you just had a you know three yep. hour window you gotta get work. like yeah. really close to the beds yeah yeah sometimes you gotta go past the the hub completely and get between yeah. the hub and the beds and yeah. get all the way up yeah and actually i wanted to bring that up because paul i know you, you've had a ton of success you know, killing bucks during, you know, this time of the year or that time of year we're talking about here uh, in the evenings, hunting a lot in the evenings, waiting for that thermal switch. What has been your experience kind of like in and around those hubs? And like, like you were saying, like you're talking about hanging down low into that thermal switch and thermal start coming down the hill and then racing up there real quick before he comes off that secondary ridge point yeah. and try to kill him in that spot. Yeah. I, I just, I keep watching that, that thermal drop. And as soon as, as soon as I can tell, something's starting to switch where I can get up to where I need to be, you know, then, then I, I finish my, my stalk in, you know, cause I'm like a lot of the times when I shoot them in the evenings, I'm within 120 yards of them, you know, I'm getting tight, you know, so it's, yeah. it's tricky getting in. Like I, I go in, I usually only go like one or two sticks high. I don't want to get up because if I start climbing a tree, he's going to bust me at that range. So I, I just kind of get a little bit up to get an angle to get a shot in the laurel. And I'm just sitting there, you know, and I, I'm, I'm literally like seven, eight feet off the ground half the time. You know, just tucked in a little crotch of a tree or something like that. If I could find good back cover or something, I like sit. I'll, I'll, I'll sit in like hemlocks or something sometimes, or you, you just, you got to get tighter till in the evenings. Cause a lot of times they don't even get up. Like they'll, they'll, you'll know they're, you know, they're right there. And like, that's the thing all year round, these deer are in these hubs, but they don't come right in all the time. So like you, you go up and it's set up, it's, it can be really tricky sometimes, but I mean, I, I'll just, if I know there's a good one in the area, I'll just keep working around in different setups until I can finally get a, get a shot on them. You know, I'm, I'm really aggressive when it comes to that in the evenings, but I, I do see like scouting, I like, find these spots. I'm like, I man, I probably kill one a lot easier in the morning in one of these spots, just looking at how it lays out and stuff. But I usually, that's just not how I've been really doing it a lot. You know, I, I usually start my mornings picking tracks up off the road or something, doing that kind of style. But I am starting to, as I'm starting to dial in these spots more, picking out more morning spots to be doing this. Cause I, I have killed bucks in the morning too. It just seems like I, I kill, I kill more in the afternoons cause I hunt more in the afternoons yeah. for them. If you're, if you're hunting one of these areas, you know, you're, you're going to have to do your homework, you know, like to really, to really figure out what time you can, cause, cause terrain and access is going to mean a, a, a enormous amount of, of determining when you can hunt these, these areas. That's why I was going to bring it real quick is the aspect of like, is it seems like these hubs specifically aren't a place 
you just go in blind and have success off the top. Like you've got to, you can probably find them on the map, but you're not just going to go in there blind and set up and probably yeah. kill a deer. No, no, well, unless you just you, luck. You it. can. Yeah. yeah. You can. It's just, you got to understand how a hub works before you just go and do that. You know, after you, after you learn, scout a couple hubs and learn them and understand it, it kind of translates to everyone you find to a certain point. Yeah. It's all, they're, they're deer. They're going to still do the same kind of stuff, you know? So you yeah. can, you can predict and accurate, accurately set up blind, but it just takes a lot of work to figure to get to that level where you can do it. Yeah. Yeah. I would definitely agree with that wholeheartedly is, is there, you know, there, there is, there is very similar characteristics with each one of them and they can be identified just, you know, topographically, you know, just, just doing your homework. You, you, but again, you've almost got to find one to know what one looks like, you know, like you gotta, you, you know, if you're, if you don't have that base of what to look for, um, you, you're kind of taking a shot in the dark. You know, yeah. so I would, once I would, you find yeah, it, you walk yeah, right yeah. into one. You're like, oh, yeah, this is a hub. Yeah, yeah. It's like it just clicks. It's like you, it may take you, you know, a couple of scouting trips to find one, you know, to really identify what is in there because you have to walk it down. But once you do, then it's like I, I found one, and I didn't realize, you know, I realized looking back at it, well, man, that no one. Why didn't I see that one over there? That's just, you know, I found this one by doing the same thing. This the same type of looking for that terrain and saying, well, this is probably a hub. You know, I've just got to find it in there. You know, I know there's deer in there. Well, how are they interacting? You know. So I've got to ask this, Shane. Uh, with you running this many trail cameras, have you found, based off talking in a hub specifically, is there any characteristics of how these deer use them that? lends itself like there's a specific setup if you're going to hunt a hub there's a specific setup that you're going to have to use or, or set up on like are you going to sit in the middle of the hub on the edge of the hub on the edge of like one of the points dropping off into it is there a certain characteristic of hunting a hub that can be used or is it one of those things that after doing this camera survey that you're like maybe hubs aren't the best place in your opinion to hunt based off in the area that you're hunting i think with this would I think that the, the advantage of hunting the hub is you have so many deer coming to it from so many different ways that you may bust, you may blow one deer out, but they're coming to that hub. So you've got a better chance hunting there because you may have multiple deer using that. That's the one thing that I've realized not, and it's the area that a lot of the areas that I put it in are not real high deer density. They're very low deer density, but they're coming to that spot regardless you know and you just have to be there so you may push a deer out you may bust one deer but you got a good chance of of you know of of another deer that you don't know anything about that's the one thing i've discovered is there's tons of deer out there you have no clue are there well uh go i want to just to go back to the the lunar phase aspect talking about the new moon and the full moon seem like like you know, close to 200% spike of uh, activity. And I get that again, that's both daylight, but also nighttime activity, just overall activity on the camera. Is that something that you're now taking full consideration on? If you're going to go hunt an area, you're probably going to wait for that time period to really, yeah. you know, hit hard. Oh, yeah. I mean, looking back on it, there, I mean, there is, you can point the days you need to be there. You need to have found one and you need to be the hunting that, that day. Because it, like one buck that I have, I have two years of data on it and he basically mimicked the previous year to almost to a T, you know, for that hub. Like he would come to it the same direction, the same time, the same time of day. And so, yeah, you, th there's definitely, you, you identify those days. You need to be there. You know, you know that, that I've spent three, two, three years on one buck like that. Just try. Okay, okay. He's gonna be coming in, and you just get that feeling like, okay, this is the week. He's coming in. He's gonna yeah. come in the, these couple days, and then you go in and yeah. you finally shoot him. Yeah. And it, the whole time you never seen the buck for a couple of years. Yeah, oh, you yeah. know, and then finally you get him. Yep. Yeah. And that's that's one thing I really want to mention and, and drive home is it's not just it's not as as soon as like you hit 12 on like the new moon or the full moon phase it's it almost seems like it's like two days prior or you know within 
a couple of days before that actually hits, yeah, you start seeing that spike in movement. Oh yeah. Well, what yeah. does that look like? Let's talk about that. Like, what is that? How many days roughly? If you're if you're coming into a new moon, right, two on the front half and two I, on the back half. I would like, I would say maybe even three, three just three to, to be, four. Yeah, yeah on the front, front and back. Yeah, so yeah, on the front yeah. and back. Yeah. and then you've got you've got a a, a gap in between. Yeah. You know the, the new yeah. moon and and the full moon, and you won't see like hardly any activity on on those scrapes. Yeah. I haven't seen any yeah, activity no. on those scrapes. Yeah. And I think Paul, you actually hit on something. I don't know if a lot of people probably picked it up, but I think if you move closer to the bedding area, and I think a lot of these things are based on like the feed times, because if, if you correlate the feed times, they line up with these particular phases and that overhead underfoot is hitting like on a new moon and a full moon it's hitting around 12. So if you think about it, if, if, if you're at say like a five or a six or a seven, as far as your feed times, those deer are going to be closer to those bedding areas and they're not going to be making it to the scrapes, which are usually in more open and more centrally located areas for all these deer on the peripheral. So if you can get up closer to these deer locations as far as their bedding and stuff for that quarter moon and last moon, you know, like the first quarter and the last quarter moon phase, if you can get closer to the bedding areas, then you're more likely to see those deer during daylight because they're not making it far enough out. From yeah, that you, you got to make more aggressive moves. Right. Yep. You got to be more aggressive with it. Yeah, definitely. You know, but the, that hub is still the, the main point, and those deer, even if they're not coming down to it, they're in the area, and you gotta you gotta just you you, you think they're not there. Sometimes Pe- people get discouraged and they think they're they're not there, but they are. They're just not moving that day. Yeah, you know, and those big bucks don't get up every day and move. You don't get many opportunities at them. They might get up and screw up once or twice a year. You know, so yeah. like. I, if I get into a hub that I know a real big one's in, like I'll, I'll, I'll hunt them out for a week. You know, I won't maybe sit the same place exactly every day, but I'll kind of work around in that hub and adjust myself for winds and stuff. But I, I'm going to be there when that deer comes in. Yeah. Yeah. That, that is one thing that I've, I've from this is that I've learned that I, I don't need to be bouncing around the way I have normally done. I need to stick with it, you know. Yeah. Once, right. once you get in yeah. the spot, you gotta stick yeah. in it and stay in the Sometimes the there's not a better spot than the one you found. Like I think that's what a lot of people, you know, a lot of hunters is is there's always something better. And sometimes they're just not. You just got to stick with it, you know. Because the deer aren't changing because you're moving to a new location. They're not following you there. You know, they're doing what they're doing where you found them at. You just have to figure out what they're doing there. When you think turkey calls, think of Houndstooth. Houndstooth Game Calls is a company based right here in Alabama, actually based out of Tuscaloosa, and they have been making some of our favorite turkey calls since 2012. Y'all head on over to their website, see what they got. They got a little something for everybody. They have a huge selection of different mouth calls, different cuts, different read configurations. I like to go on there and get five or six different mouth calls and just run them, see which ones I like the most. You know, some days I might like the KB hen, some days I might like the ghost cut. Some situations I might like the country girl call, you know, that I can cut on really hard where on other situations I might like the all pro that I can get a little bit softer on. Bottom line, there's something for everybody and something for every situation and hey, you can get 15% off of your order at Houndstooth Game Calls by using the promo code SOP24. That's SOP24. Use that promo code. It'll get you a discount and it helps out the podcast. Yeah, Yeah. and you have to be aware of the times that they're doing their they're thing. doing their thing yeah right and that yeah. and that is constantly on a change like it's constantly changing every single day yeah. in my opinion based on the time uh based on that moon phase based on you know the rut which is from what i've seen uh, very much so based on the winter phase we i, I feel like we got to talk about this i can't believe we haven't hit on this yet but it goes with what we're talking about shane with you running Literally like 170 cameras in like 800 acres, which is ridiculous. Like you said, you've got a ton of the same deer on camera, different places. What is their, okay, you talk about like the activity jumps up during the new, the you know, new moon and full moon phases. What is the overall activity like? Do you see like an increase? Like I see this book instead of on two cameras, I see them on 12 cameras or 18 cameras mm-hmm. during that time period. Like, does it feel like they're covering more ground or they're just being more active 
in their little area that they're, they're just, you know, kind of hanging to. Well, it, they're all different. I mean, I've got some that'll, you know, like over the 800 acres, he, he would cover the entire 800 acres, you know, in a day or in a half a day, you know. And I got some that I only saw him on one camera, not even at the hub, but just on an outskirt. So he never visited the hub. And I don't think he ever left like 25 acres. I think he stayed within his little 25 acres and that was it, you know. But like I said, others would 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 cover the whole gamut, you know. But where I was trying to get at is is that changing during that phase of the moon? I mean, or is it pretty constant or is it you just seeing Oh no, it, it yeah, it's changing. I mean, it all activity ramps up during that period of time. I mean, there there's a waning and there's a ramp up and then it's a you know, it's a drop off back to the back to the waning again, you know. Yeah, and diff- different times of the season when they're in that hub, they might only favor one side of it. Yeah at one time of the year and then they cut through that way. And then a couple, couple weeks later, all of a sudden now they're going this way. They got something else they're going to, yeah. you and, know, and, but and they're the, still in the area. They're just kind of, they kind of, they go where they, they need to go for a shift and maybe like maybe over there, there's a certain orb or something. They want to eat a certain plant on the ground or something that's coming up, something that's drawing them to it. You know, it's just, it's something little key, little subtle things like that. That's going to, switch them around and i told y'all i, I identified and i think it might have been you that mm-hmm. i was telling you i identified the first off i kind of identified like doe groups and then i spun yeah. off of that yeah that's kind of where i spun it off of so the doe group thing is one thing that i noticed is the changes in the primary scrape activity within each doe group change so it was like a it, you know it was like a moving part so when this doe group seemed to come in maybe there was more activity in this area that was a primary scrape. And then it moved to here. It made a, it you know, it wasn't all like activity at the primary scrapes never increased at the same point. Yeah. They increased at different times, but the buck hubs, they increased at the same time. So they were using them new moon, full moon. It didn't matter. They were, they were the same activity there, but the primary scrape change changed by location, depending on what doe group. That was that, associated that with that is, set. That is so interesting. I like know, it's got man. my wheel spinning, like thinking like you could go in, you can mark the different weeks that certain scrapes are popping up in certain areas in yeah. your yeah. little small area. Yeah. And you could actually, you know, target specific doe areas even outside of your, you know, primary scrape areas. You could have your primary scrape areas mm-hmm. dedicated to full moon, new moon, and then target each specific doe group separately based on when those scrapes pop up during that season. Tell me if I'm explaining this correctly, but but the reason for that would be that these doe groups are kind of in their areas and the bucks are using those buck hubs to travel between different doe groups, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah I think the, the, kind of the if you look at it from you know, from an overview of how it's how I've kind of done it, which I can I can show you um the doe groups overlap, but the buck hubs have their own specific like territory mm-hmm. seems like and each one of them uh maybe has their own like i guess dominant buck for that area that's that's kind of knocking all the rest of them out and so the other ones are kind of just like kind of like kind of like turkeys it's subordinate bucks that are kind of satellite deer. satelliting around every which away you know and then but you have the one that is that he he's going to visit all of them but he's got his home, and that's the one he's going to stay at. And so he may check. And one thing you did, I did see is there. There's one that basically he hit all primary scrapes. He was the only one that hit every single primary scrape. But the, he was the only one. The others didn't. They would stay in there, like their their buck hub was here, and he's kind of here. He just did his. He just would hit this group of primary scrapes. Yeah. Do you do you remember back to last year when we did the uh the little survey or whatever with all of the data points that we got? Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Do you remember all of those different bucks how they had these real harsh cutoffs? Like Oh yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Big time. So yeah, he's just, talking about with our, our GPS data that we yeah, got last yeah. year. Um you would look at it and you could look at multiple bucks and they would they would bump right into each other mm-hmm. and stop. Yeah. And, oh, yeah. and, and sometimes they would overlap a decent bit, but most of the time, I mean, there's like an abrupt yeah. and it, you know, it's like 
These yeah. two deer, these two bucks, they live close to each other and they'll be like all over each other. But this mm-hmm. buck over here, like neither one of the deer are yeah, getting closer. over into his stuff. Yeah. So yeah. it's like that I, one over there is the dominant a one. A creek. A yeah. creek divides them. Divides them. Yeah. Oh, all yeah. of a sudden they'll get to they'll get to a creek and they're like, okay, that's the other guy's house. I'm not going over there. Yep. Yeah. We saw that with ridges yeah. and roads. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I had I had that one buck that that he it didn't matter whose territory it was, he was going to hit it. But he like I said, he was the only one. The rest of them I never saw him on on you know mm-hmm. on this now now in the buck hub scrapes were totally different. I, I might see them all in there, but as far as like where the doe groups are staying, because the doe groups seem to kind of form a periphery around the the hubs. Like they they didn't they didn't really that wouldn't that wasn't maybe terrain or that wasn't maybe cover type or something that they they didn't they they never really you know got into. Yeah, and that 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 has something to do with the doe bedding and why you find the big buck rubs around the doe bedding. And that I think those big bucks are going in there. They're hitting that rub and they're like, "This is mine. Stay yeah. out." Just a territorial marking. Of uh of all these cameras you ran, hundred seventy something cameras. Uh, were you ever putting cameras on a lot of these beds that you were finding? Yeah, I did. I put I put on some that I knew were being used, you know, uh, regularly. Once I found them, it, that was kind of one of those things where, you know, kind of the travel, kind of spread out to the hubs, then the hubs out to the bedding. You know, trying yeah. to figure out where they were bedding, and I did that once. Once I had basically kind of given up on hunting, you know, like <laughs> this had become a work. And so now well, I might as well find out where they're betting at, you know, and see, yeah. see what, what they're, you know, what they're, what they're looking at betting wise, you know, so it mm-hmm. just kind of morphed into that. But yeah, I did that for all of November and, and, or most of November and all of December. What, what kind of stuff were you finding out from having the cameras on those beds? Um, they don't bed that they, they didn't, they're not they're not staying in their bed the way we think they do. They are, mm-hmm. you know, they're bouncing around within that, that area around the bed. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're not, they're not just, they're not getting in the bed and staying there for six hours. That's just not the way. I mean, deer, deer, their body can't work that away. So they have to move around. Um, so that was the main thing is I, you know, he always, oh, he gets to, gets to a point and he finds a good, good spot and he's there for the rest of the day. No. No. And that, yeah. That that buck I killed in September a couple of years ago was like that. I I set up on him for a bed switch, and that's how I ended up yeah. killing that deer. Yeah, I had one that that would bed in the morning with the sun in his face. I had I figured out he was using two beds on this one ridge point. I jumped him. This is the only reason I I did this is I I accessed him from a, a different way. I knew where I knew where he was bedding just based off of all the trail camera footage I had on him. And he was watching a creek and watching the road that everybody was traveling on. And I, I said one day I'm gonna put a camera. I'm gonna, I'm gonna move a couple cameras. I'm gonna put it, you know, where I think he's betting at. And sure enough, I'm walking up the ridge, up this little drainage, and I bump him. You know, he's, you know, sixty yards in front of me. And so I found where his bed was laying. You know, where he'd been at that morning. Like it was still dry. This was right after a dew. So I knew that was him. Put a put a camera on the bed. Backed out. Went around the other side of the ridge from him, found his other bed. Because I knew he had to be bedding right there. So he, I figured he's got a couple different beds. Well, I found three. So I put three cameras on him. And he literally would get out of one. And I didn't have a, it wouldn't, it wouldn't every day he did this. But he would get out of one in the morning. He would, he would face the east in the morning with the rising sun. And about 10 o'clock, he'd switch to the other one. Huh. He would go on the other side of the ridge at 10 o'clock and he'd bed down for about an hour or two. And then I don't know where he would go from there. I, I didn't yeah, have cameras ther- around. Thermal yeah. regulation. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Now, he had an interesting bed too, that he would go to, um, after midday and he would, he would kind of stay in it for a while. And it was tucked into a, this just unrelenting grass and briar thicket. And he would bury up into it from like, 1 p.m. 2 p.m. until the afternoon and he would come out of it yeah yeah he's going in he's going into a deep sleep right there that's where he's putting his rack down he's fully out out cold i I almost killed him but i just i never could get he was in such a position i tried to sneak in on him when when i knew he was in that bed or figured he was but he was in just such a position i never could if i got right or left of him he would have saw me i only had one one position to sneak into him and uh, he got up and left that bed, but it was after dark. So I sat there for him. 
couple of days and tried to kill him, but he never. What about when it comes to uh, specifically talking trail cameras on the beds? Did you find uh, that they're using a wind advantage or anything like, or any kind of consistent pattern where you could look at a weather forecast and be like, okay, he ought to be in bed A today? Not really. Okay. Yeah, I mean that shot that shot that completely out of the water. Um, I had always heard they're gonna bed with their you know their nose in the wind, and he never bedded with his nose in the wind. He usually had it over. He usually had it. I'll take that back. They usually say they're going to bed with the wind over their back and a visual in front of him. Mm-hmm. But he bedded in those. It didn't matter what the wind did. Okay. You know, I, I, I think the yeah. wind's more important for traveling. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. There's no doubt about that because the, the data on the, the travel corridors that I also did bared out that, that the, that the uh, travel was way more dependent on wind direction. And it wasn't wind in your – it wasn't wind directly into them. They always wanted to go into a crossing wind. Like it didn't matter. I mean, they would be sometimes they would, you know, that's, I think that's one of the reasons you see a lot of these meandering trails is they're trying to keep that crosswind, you know, one way or the other. That's why they're kind of just meandering around is because that wind is switching depending on what side of a ridge and how the wind mm-hmm. hits here. And they always want to have that slight advantage. So that's why I don't think any of their trails are ever just one direction. You know, like I'm going from here to here. And that's the trip that, you know, kind of like a double dude. She'll go all the way around the ridge. It didn't matter what the wind's doing, but they'll meander through the, you know, just depending on how the wind is blowing. You know? Yep. Bird dog in it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's what Paul, you yeah. said earlier yeah. when we were talking, you're like, man, they're just like bird dogs yeah. in the rut. Like I, I tracked one, one trail and it was through this kind of, it, it was an interesting place. It kind of, it was, it was below a, a tall ridge. And it got a weird wind, like a weird swirling wind in this area. And I got on a trail that um, I knew was a, was was a buck that was going into it because I'd, I'd seen him on camera. And that that trail looked like if you I tracked myself on Onyx, and it looked like a zigzag, just in and out. You know, it made a wide loop and came back in. Uh, it didn't. It did. It. I mean, it, it didn't look like anything you would think a trail would look like. But I know that was, I know it. But so the crosswind is what plays a huge factor. It's like, it seems like from your data, yeah. they're wanting a crosswind when coming to these areas. Not really went to their face, went to their back, yeah. but a crosswind, crosswind coming across their face. One other thing that we actually talked about before we started recording, which talking about the beds and everything, is Michael just pulled a trail camera. This is a couple weeks ago, and we did a podcast about it. He had this really nice buck, you know, bedded in a scrape. Which Mike, that was a pre-existing scrape or a mock scrape. So it it looked like there was an old scrape, and I freshened it up, made it huge the, like, uh, to where they could not miss it when they come through there. Yeah. Well, anyways, this buck came and laid down. Was it in the scrape or just next to it? It was in the scrape. And bringing up that point, we had y'all had talked about this earlier. I think both Paul and I know Shane, you were saying that you specifically, Shane, have seen that. As well with this yeah. data, correct? Oh, yes. Yeah. So can yeah. we talk about that? Because I find it fascinating. Well, and another thing, there was a younger buck. He was a smaller eight point. He mm-hmm. came in. He bedded down first. Mm-hmm. He went off. The other buck came in. The other buck bedded down in there. Mm-hmm. Once the big buck left, the other buck, buck came, came back. back into that spot. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. so, Shane, what have you seen with bucks bedded in scrapes? Oh, I mean, I've had one that, that he would do it constantly. He would do it, you know, every time he visited a scrape, he would he would bed down in the scrape. That was his thing. And he would lay there, you know, all night or not, not all night, but he would, you know, he would be in the bed for hours and he would let another buck come in and work the scrape and he'd be right back in it, you know? So, and how, was that a younger year or like a more, or is it a mature I, buck? I, I would judge him as probably three and a half okay. year old. Yeah. Did you, did you ever see that characteristics with like older deer or did it always seem like it was a certain age range that would do that? He was really the only one that I saw it a lot of. I would see now. I've seen older deer that that did it, of course, but it wasn't to his quite to his level. Like he, that was he, that was obviously his thing, you know. Like because he did it in all the scrapes, you know, all the all the the buck hub scrapes. He did it in. He never did it in any of the primary scrapes. Every time you saw a buck, no matter the age, do it. Was it always at night, or did it ever happen near daylight hours? There was some daylight too. Okay, yeah. Yeah, there was one that he he he, did, he only did it he only did it during daylight at one location, and I, I that that was just a, a a unique you know hub there where I think he felt it you know it basically just had unique characteristics to it with a lot of cover real close by so I think he probably felt 
really comfortable there even being a young deer or a young buck, you know. Maybe just laying in there looking for his buddy. Yeah. Just sitting there waiting for somebody to come along. He's lonely. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of the visit, the 29 deer that visited one, a lot of those are younger deer, you know, the, the, the ones that I classified as older deer, like I said, seem to have their own area, you know, their own buck hub and a couple of them might share one, but the, the, the younger deer just seem to just, they want to go find somebody to, you know, hang out with, you know, kind of like a young, young men are now, you know, they want to hang out with their bros, you know. It's it's rare I ever get a big buck that wants to hang out with younger deer yeah. and stuff. But I do get like I, I have one giant one I'm trying to kill right now, and he keeps showing up with this little forked horn mm-hmm. on the camera, and he's hanging out right on the scrape with him. And it, it's like November. I'm yeah. like, well, what yeah. is this buck doing? You know, throw, throw me a complete loop. I'm yeah. like, all right, well, I guess that's what he's doing. <laughs> but it's it just it, it there's it's a social thing, and you know it's a social point and it's so, like the, the little table when everybody does the dating and they're just all hanging out yeah. and meeting each other or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Speed dating. Yeah. There you go. Uh, Shane, uh, I've got to ask you this too. Have you, did you see, and I know this is very much based off each individual deer, but did you see much patterns with some of these bucks, especially what I'd call like whatever you would classify as a shooter buck, whether it's age base, age and antler, whatever. But, did you ever see a pattern with these deer uh, where they would always seem like consistent on, they would enter areas or enter beyond control camera from the same direction, more constant than not, or is it more random uh, as in when they showed up on camera? Can you, I don't know if that's something yeah, that you I mean, at. I had, a, I, I paid attention to a couple of them that I was really trying to kill and uh, they had specific routes that they would enter. Um, the younger deer didn't, they, they would come in from wherever they were, coming from you know they had no distinct but they were all using they all used the, the trails like they never just wandered in from somewhere they were always coming in on those access points you know those, that those, faint, trails. those faint trails they had established you know yeah because that's what i was wondering is like especially with some of these older bucks if they were more set in their ways with certain conditions or whatever yeah. they're entering areas you know i'm not saying more, necessarily more pattern but they had a certain way that yeah. coming every oh, single yeah. time we actually we're gonna do a podcast uh I guess we can say it with the guys from Wise Eye Trail Cameras um, about their AI and their software and everything. Mm-hmm. They call it they're not they don't call themselves even trail cameras. They call them like data collection yeah. cameras because that's the, what they do. And the idea of like looking at these patterns with their software, where it like predicts like this buck is truly mm-hmm. coming in only with a southeast wind yeah. during this kind of wind conditions, yeah. like yeah. range of winds, it's fascinating. All yeah. these different yeah. all these different data points. It's yeah. like they're building profiles on deer, which is yeah. fascinating, but. It's like that's why I was curious with with as many cameras as you're running, Shane. That if you've seen patterns like that with specific gear, that hey, it seems like he's always coming here. He's having a crosswind, but it's during yeah, certain I've, conditions. I I get the experience with snow, and I get to track these deer, and I 100% see that these bucks have their own individual habits and stuff when they want to come in with these bigger bucks. You're like you get on you get on a set of tracks and just by following a big buck track in the snow for a couple hundred yards you're like all of a sudden you're like this is a pretty good deer and you can you could just tell just by the way he navigates that woods you're like this is a good one yeah you know oh yeah and you could you could pick right up on it once you figure it out yeah i mean because you, you got to think about it the, the big bucks to me the more mature ones they they have a designated area that they're comfortable betting in so they're naturally going to, if they bed in a certain area, what's, I mean, they're going to travel a certain area that they're comfortable with, you know, whereas the younger, the younger, less mature bucks are just, you know, they're in their pattern of, I'm just going wherever I feel like I want to go that day. You know, like they don't have a, they don't have the, the database of, of, of knowledge that the, that the more mature, mature deer have. So they're, they're more apt to just, come in from whichever direction we talked a lot about scrapes and these faint trails and everything playing a factor how much do rubs like play a factor on these subtle trails like coming into these areas i mean are you seeing any consistent bucks on going into one of these hubs or is it pretty much just a faint trail for hundreds of yards and all of a sudden it's entering to a hub where there's a bunch of these other faint trails like what have both of y'all seen and shane i guess you can take it away first yeah i mean definitely it's rubs and they're, they're more 
Um, I would say that the faint trails that are coming in are probably done more with the smaller deer, the younger deer, just based off of size. I guess that's the only, I don't have, you know, I don't have data points on the, you know, the trails themselves to witness a larger deer making us, you know, smaller, making this rub, making that rub. But just based off of what I'm seeing, I would say it's probably, uh, the, the younger deer that are doing most of that. Um, most of the larger rubs that I'm seeing are in the transition point from out of the hub back toward the primary scrape. That makes sense. Like it's on that, it's maybe the trails that are leading not to bedding, but maybe the trails that are leading to the doe bedding. That's where the more, you know, pronounced rubbing is, is done. And like, like Paul said, he may have seen it around the, the hub. I haven't, I didn't see a whole lot of rubbing right in the, like say within 50 yards, there wasn't a whole lot, you know, most all the activity was had to do with the licking branch. Like they were more concerned with that licking branch than the ground, you know, the ground was just something to, to do, but the licking branch above it was the focal point. So when we talk about a scrape, the, it, it should be probably more, it's a, it's a licking branch hub. Is there anything about that licking branch? Like, uh, like, are you looking for something that has like 10 licking branches altogether? Or are you looking for one that's like the size of your thumb that's twisted up? Yeah. The size and there's of your like thumb three or four up. of them. Maybe. Yeah. 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 It, it's that one branch, you know, seems to be, um, that, that they're more, they're more interested in. Cause it, it is, they, it didn't matter if they come in and stood in the scrape They're they're every one of them were going to do something with that licking branch, yeah. but not every one of them did anything with a the scrape. They may have just came and stood, but they did something with the licking branch. What kind of trees in particular? If you could get a beech tree, yeah. you're, you're, you're home free. You know, that was where of the six I had four were beech trees. Yeah. Um, now this, this is going to be interesting. Some of the places I'm hunting, the beech trees aren't growing at those elevations where I'm finding these hubs, and I'm getting signposts on them in those locations. Mm-hmm. And I'm getting these big signposts, and they're doing the same thing like they're using the licking branch. They're signposts. Yeah. You'll get them. They'll come in, and they'll smell the signposts, and they'll check check the scent on it. And half the time, they don't even rub it. They'll just come in and scent it. You know, They'll yeah. just check it, yeah. and then they'll just go on their, their way. But they the, the signpost rubs are really major sometimes yeah you know i have a signpost rub up in bankhead national forest not in black warrior <laughs> i'm letting everybody know because i know that's what jacob's laughing about but this beech tree is about a foot and a half thick and they have rubbed this thing for years yeah yeah, you got well, them coordinates for me. I can send it to you. <laughs> hey, I've not pictures or it didn't happen. I've not been there in probably six or seven years, but this thing was. They probably rubbed it in half yeah. by now. Yeah, probably <laughs> so. broke it off. They broke it <laughs> off. Probably so. But yeah, I'm, one of the one of the locations was like that. It was it was a it was a cedar tree that, and it was it was a substantial cedar tree. And he had uh, well, he they they had rubbed that tree, you know for decades probably because it was it's it's you know it's the yeah. size of my leg so interestingly uh beech trees is what i normally find the scrapes mm-hmm. under the one that i made this one under last year i guess it was a cedar or was it a young hemlock on bank probably a hemlock if they were hitting licking branches on it mm-hmm. yeah it, it was young whatever it was most of the mm-hmm. hemlocks you see up there are, you know just giant uh, yeah. but this one was only about what would y'all say about 10 foot tall, maybe something like that. 10, 15 foot. Yeah. They were standing they were like up on their up hind on legs and they were getting as far up into that thing as they possibly could. Yeah. We, we, I get a lot of, and I don't know if it's just for this area, but we get a lot of them on ironwood and ironwood uh-huh. tree. Told you. And it, it's similar to a <laughs> beach. It's just, just harder wood, but man, they love those. Like the other one is an ironwood tree and just about every one of the primary scrapes were a beach or an ironwood. I'm not familiar with ironwood. I'm gonna have to get you to show me that one because yeah. of this yeah. new. I see they rub those oh, yeah. in yeah. September a lot. Do you see that? Yes, yes. They they rub them like a lot in September. Oh, and, and the sumac, the mm-hmm. sumac because it's got all those big leaves and it's kind of a uh, a weird looking bark. Yeah, uh, you'll see yeah. a lot of those early, and they're just thrashed to pieces. Uh, yeah, I was about to say yeah. those rubbed yeah. a lot. 
Yeah. And I've had a picture on a big signpost rub uh, on a maple tree that was like this big around. It was like two or three trunks. Mm-hmm. And they were all rubbed. They've all been rubbed multiple years. And because, uh, you know, you got like the old rub and then the kind of the outside of it's rubbed. Mm-hmm. And I had a camera on a scrape that was actually, you could see that rub in the background. Yeah. And all the little bucks that you'd have come by would like smell it and check it out. And then any rack buck, not even big bucks, but any buck with a rack mm-hmm. would come by and just thrash that thing. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, anything above like a little sick, like basket six point, they would do it, but all like the spikes and forks and everything would just smell it and they wouldn't do anything yeah. with it. Yeah. But they were all coming by and, and checking that even when they, they would go past the scrape and go up there and look at that rather than the scrape. Yeah. Like the, the cedar tree that I had was like I said, it's substantial size of my leg. There was never anything under a, an eight that hit it. Like even the, the nice you know, seven and six point basket rack that they would come in, they would not touch that tree. Mm-hmm. You know, they just, they were not, they would, they would come and smell it, but they wouldn't even attempt to rub it, you know? Yeah. But now licking so, branches. Sometimes would, it's yeah. a nice idea to make a signpost rub in one of those hubs just for attraction to get a buck to walk yeah, over and give you a shot. Yeah. Cause they see that, they see that they're like, Oh, what's the big shiny wood over there? And they'll come right over and investigate it. I always carry around in my pack a a half of a horn like a i got like a little six six point horn and yeah if i find this place like that like mid i might be you know moving midday i'll make a rub you know and then i'll you know spray it down with sand or something like that yeah but I'll, that's that's something i do i don't know if anybody else does that or not did but, did you ever use any sense as far as like when you put these cameras out uh, not really. No. No. Okay. Now, when I when I made the when I made the move the mock scrape. Well, I take that back. I made one mock scrape and you sent. I basically peed in it. Yeah. Yeah, and it started it like that. You know. Now the one the mock the other scrape that I moved, uh, I didn't do anything to it. Okay. Yeah. But yeah, the minute the minute I moved it and cleaned it out, I mean they were there that night. Yeah. You know? Yeah. As soon as they yeah. smell the dirt. Yeah. They just they smell that fresh dirt and they're like, huh? Yeah. And they. It, the curiosity brings them right over. So we're sitting at two out. We're all, we've already make this making this a part two. So we're breaking this one in half. We got we need to plan a part three. And uh, reason being, I, I really want to. I've been saving it, but I really want to get in deep to like access and actually hunting this. We're, we're gonna save that for part three. Is there anything else that anybody has real quick before we like shut this down? Because I know I'm cutting it off like cold turkey. <laughs> yeah, let's, let's talk about access. Here's part three. No, I'm joking. No, I, we're not doing that. I Who sponsors l- you for all them batteries? <laughs> yeah. That's a lot of batteries. I, I was thinking that earlier. I'm like, man, that's a uh, that's a legitimate like uh, I don't know operation you got going yeah. on. That many yeah. cameras. I mean, logistically, that that sounds like a nightmare. Yeah, it was like it, it was breaking down you know, 20 cameras this day, you know, it was basically, I was going around every day check, checking cameras. It felt like almost, you know, but how, many, how many cameras you found uh, about two weeks or two years later. And you're like, Oh my oh, goodness. Yeah, I, I'm still one. like trying, like my, my Onyx, I had to use on, I had, I, it was so full that I couldn't just use Onyx. I had to use base map. Then I had to use hunt stand cause they all overlapped, you know? So when you pull up your map, it's like, it's just covered with dots, you know, <laughs> you can't tell one from the other. So I basically just use base map is just my hunting. And then I used Onyx and, and hunt stand for the, for the apps and I'm for the, for the, uh, the trail cameras and kind of split them depending on what area it was in. That way I just wouldn't be covered up. Yeah. I do the same thing. <laughs> You're asking about the questions. I'd like 50 questions earlier, but, uh, <laughs> I mean, I didn't know how long y'all were going to make this. So like, I don't even know what they were. Here's the thing. Like everyone needs to take notes and remember what you want to talk about and, uh, and revisit these shows that we just did because like we've been podcasting long enough. We're going to, as soon as we turn this off, everyone's going to be like, Oh, there was this thing that I meant to talk about. Well, for, for this, uh, let's do this. Um, in the reviews, like I, I Mm. have people constantly message me and be like, I'm glad that you asked that question, you know, because that was the same question I was thinking about. So if you have a question for this particular episode, um, which is going to drop what next Monday, two Mondays from now, cause two this Mondays? is getting, this is going to be a two part. Okay. We're breaking this one in half. So whatever, whatever questions y'all have 
for part three, go ahead and drop them in the reviews. That way we can go ahead and cover these specific topics because mm-hmm. I mean, there's a lot here. Like we could break this yeah. down into a 10 part series. Like no problem. I, yeah. I could keep going for another three, four hours on this. Oh, that's, that, that's my boy, Paul. Listen, <laughs> listen, hey, there, listen, there ain't many people like Paul. Paul is yeah. as long winded as I can be. My, yeah. Listen, Paul was built for podcasts. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we, we haven't even talked about the hundred and six cameras that I have that covers the the actual travel into these. Oh yeah, you know, yeah. one hundred and six that covered just the travel corridors between these hubs. And so. this doesn't just apply to mountains. That's no. the thing. Yeah, no. you can use this anywhere. Yeah, this like, works anywhere. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't. Yeah. Ju- it's not just mountains. It's any terrain, you can find this kind of stuff. Oh yeah. Yeah, it just, no it's not the same. It's a little different the way that they use it, but it, it's just, it's the same concept. Yep. Yeah, it, it'll. I think it'll transfer to anywhere. You know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Well, like Michael said, everybody, uh, if you got questions on these, definitely leave them in the reviews. Uh, drop a five star if you're enjoying it. I'd, we'd really appreciate that. If you've been enjoying the podcast, enjoying you know these you know these two episodes, you know, leave us <laughs> five star review on iTunes. Love to hear the feedback again. Like Mike said. You know, love to put your questions out there and see what y'all would want to hear for on part three, because <laughs> there, there's a lot to it. I mean, it's kind of overwhelming. I'm over here sitting there. I'm like, I'm gonna have to re-listen to this whole series like two or three times, like pinpoint everything. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. And then relook at the maps. Be like, okay, let's let's like cross this area off because this clearly is not what we need to be looking at after mm-hmm. having this conversation mm-hmm. in X Y Z. So, well, I'm just glad because here we have Nick, a pretty extensive survey from Alabama, where where I'm used to seeing, you know. Pennsylvania, South yeah. Carolina, yeah, and, Mississippi. And you, you, you try to like relate some of this and they don't exactly line up, but like this is everything that I've been seeing and it's just good to have this confirmation, you know. Hey, Michael's been grinning for two hours. This one's for you. Yeah. His cheek's going to be hurting yeah. tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. As, as my buddy's uh, dad would say, grinning like a possum in eight. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great, dude. Well, all right, Paul, I appreciate it, man. Um, and Shane, I appreciate it. This Thank has been fantastic. Been so uh, I'm glad I'm glad to be on here. It's fun. Absolutely. Thank you very much. All right, guys, we're starting to get kind of close to summer here. And you know what my favorite part about summer is? The Mobile Hunters Expo. Y'all heard us talk about it a lot last year, and we actually got to meet a lot of you guys at that expo. Well, we're excited to announce we're going to be there again. This time it's going to be in Dalton, Georgia, June 28th through June 30th. We are going to be there all three days. We're going to have a bunch of past podcast guests there. We're going to have a booth where you can come by and grab some merchandise. And I'm sure we're going to be recording all kinds of podcasts there. If you're unfamiliar, the Mobile Hunters Expo is the place you need to be if you are the kind of hunter that listens to this podcast this show was literally made for you it is an excellent group of people that are going to be there a lot of whitetail killers from around the southeast are going to be there you're going to get to talk to them shake their hand learn from them in person make some connections and guys we get a lot of questions about hey, which saddle should i get which tree stand should i get what about this piece of gear what about that piece of gear How do I meet other hunters who want to hunt the same way that I do? You know, finding a good hunting buddy. The Mobile Hunters Expo is a place for all of that. So you guys don't miss it. June 28th through the 30th, Dalton, Georgia. We'll see you there.